so excited to introduce to you guys today a guest speaker. That's Brother David Taylor and his lovely wife, Miss Deb, at his side. Let me tell you just quickly, uh, Debbie, all right, but I like to call her Deb, all right, that's okay. Uh, she attended Kavanaugh as a teenager. How many of y'all knew that? Her dad, Wade T. Jernigan, was Kavanaugh's pastor. Pretty cool, huh? So thank you for the foundation that your family and your dad laid here at Kavanaugh for us today as we continue to worship our Lord. Uh, Brother David Taylor, he serves as our executive director at the state office of Free Will Baptist. That means he runs the big ship, okay? He keeps everything in control. He takes care of us and looks over us. You know, Brother David, I like to say that you're the Liam Neeson of Free Will Baptist, okay? You're just watching over us, keeping the peace, protecting your people. Uh, seriously, though, Brother David, and this is the truth, we couldn't have a better man uh, serving in our state office. That position requires complete integrity and rock-solid faith. And that's Brother David. He is, he is a trustworthy man, and I'm so thankful to call him my friend. And Brother David, thank you for what you and Sister Deb do in leading our state. Would you make Brother David welcome as he comes today and shares the word? Thank you. Good morning. I appreciate the kind words. I don't know if they're deserving or not, but I appreciate it. If you have your Bible, I would invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. While you're turning there, let me, uh, let me just say that it's been uh, uh, an honor and a privilege of mine to have uh, called the last three pastors, your current pastor and the previous two, friends of mine. Uh, I was related to one of them, but that's, you know, another story. Uh, but uh, it has been my honor. They have uh, actually very much influenced my life a great deal, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. This morning I want to look at a, at a passage of Scripture, and I, I, I'm going to give you my promise that I'm not going to just lift this verse out of the text and make it say what I want it to say, uh, but I, I just want to read one verse. I think you've heard it before. Let's look at verse number 8 of 1 Peter chapter 5. The writer says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Let's, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we uh, come before you and we simply want to ask you right now, Lord, that you would give us our daily bread. We've come today to be fed by your word, your word that will sustain us, uh, it will strengthen us, and Lord, it will satisfy us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. In this familiar passage, Peter describes the enemy of yours and mine, of our, of our lives, as a lion. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. A lion, that's a pretty impressive animal. Um, in fact, uh, if you think about it, when the apostle calls Satan uh, a lion, he talks about someone that's powerful, someone ferocious. Hungry, terrifying, a killing machine. I don't know how much you know about lions. I like to, uh, 
I like to watch some of those nature programs on National Geographic, and I just I get interested in that, that sort of thing from time to time. But I found out some interesting things about lions. You may or may not know this, but I'll share it with you. Maybe it'll help you get a mental picture about, about what maybe Peter was talking about. Lions. Do you know that lions have no natural predators? In the animal kingdom, no one hunts the lion. The elephant doesn't hunt it. The rhinoceros doesn't hunt it. Nobody hunts the lion. Also, I found out that the lion is an alpha predator. That means he's at the very top of the food chain. He's at the top. Everything below him, he, you know, he eats. He also is a hypercarnivore. That means that more than 70% of his diet is meat. I have a grandson that fits that category. <laughs> he is also the only member of the cat family where the male is significantly larger or more robust than the female. How many of you have house cats? Raise your hand. Oh, come on. It's got to be more than that. All right. Okay. Some of you. Well, that's good because I don't like cats anyway, so that's, that's all right. But if you, had, if you had two cats at your house, I couldn't tell you if one's a male or a female. If you showed me a bobcat, I couldn't tell you if it's a male or female. You showed me a tiger, I couldn't tell you if it's a male or female. But I can tell you a male from a female from a lion. The male is much, much bigger. In fact, males grow up to nine and a half feet in length, and they weigh up as much as 550 pounds. That's several copies of me right there. The mane, the mane of the male lion is the most recognizable characteristic in the animal kingdom. Everybody understands what that, that, that mane means, what it looks like. It's just, it's there. And then the one that I think probably stands out to me the most is the roar. The roar. Now, as a kid growing up in Northern California, we would go to the San Francisco Zoo on an occasion. All right? Is this being uh, recorded? Okay. Oh, my. All right. Okay, but careful how to say this. There's a house in which they keep all the cats. I started to say cat house, but that could have a wrong connotation. <laughs> and the point is that when, when you, you go into this, this house of the cats, that's where you go in and they feed them. And they know when it's feeding time. And we used to walk in there as kids. Now we're safe. They've got these big glass you know, windows between us. And they would start to roar. I mean, you'd have your tigers in there. You'd have your lions in there. You'd have all, all kinds of cats that'd be in there. And they would start to roar. And it would just reverberate through. But do you know that a lion, the male lion's roar, can be heard as far as five miles away? In fact, I suppose there's not many things in nature that sends a chill up and down the spine in the middle of the night like the roar of a lion. So, here's the animal that Peter chooses to use to illustrate our adversary, the devil. The lion. This metaphor, it ought to heighten our spiritual senses. It ought to put us on red alert. We have an adversary who's out to terrorize, who is out to kill and destroy both our body and our soul. 
lions. They don't leave anything left behind but bones to bleach in the sun. Now, having said all that, I think it's important for us to understand that we don't need to fear our adversary. There's a reason for that. Whereas earthly lions have no natural predators, I want you to understand that the spiritual lion walking about seeking whom he may devour, he has already met his match. He's already been defeated. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ defeated him. The empty tomb took the bite out of his one hold on us that was death. Is he still roaming about? Yes, he is. Is he still seeking? Yes, he is. Is he still roaring? Oh, yes, he is. But his power has been reduced to simple things such as temptation, intimidation, enticement, threats, and lies. In the person of Jesus Christ, we have the ultimate victory over our adversary, Satan. It's signed, it's sealed, it's been delivered. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. But let's be honest. While we live in this flesh, while we're walking about, while we're going through our everyday life, we're going to work, we're going to school, we're, we're uh, raising our family, uh, all those sort of things. While we're living this life, we have to deal with our adversary. It still is a concern to us. It ought to be a concern to us to know that there's someone out there after us. He's walking in and out of our lives on a daily basis. And my fear is that far too many folks who claim the name of Jesus Christ, don't even recognize when the enemy is walking in and out of their lives. So how do we deal with this adversary? How do we deal with him? I'd like to share with you two, I think, very familiar stories in the Bible. Maybe take a little different perspective on the stories to be able to help, um, help you understand what I'm trying to say. First of all, I'd like to begin with David. David, David dealing with lions that scare us. In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17 is the story that I think you're familiar with. It's the story of David and Goliath. Now, before I get to that point, let me back up just a moment and say this, that even as a boy, even as a lad, David had experience in dealing with lions. I cannot imagine, I just cannot imagine sending out my son or one of my grandsons at the age of 11, 12, 13, even 18 years of age, out into the wilderness to watch over my sheep, knowing that there were lions that were out there. I mean, I just, I just, I can't imagine that. It just, it's, but Jesse didn't have a problem with it. This is baby boy. I could see seeing it in his oldest boy, you know, but his baby boy, uh, you know, I, dad always, I was the oldest, dad always sent me out for, he never sent Philip. <laughs> never. I, I, I'm expendable. Philip's not. But he sent out his little boy. And he dealt with a lion and he dealt with a bear. They came along and they tried to grab a sheep. He went out, he got him, and he killed him. So when you, when you look at the story of David and Goliath, you need to keep this in mind. David goes back in his past in dealing with Goliath and he says, he says something about that lion and the bear. All right? And so he, he, he tells about the fact that he had dealt with them. 
But here's the problem. Not everybody shared David's perspective. They didn't see Goliath simply the way David did. For them, Goliath was scary. Every single man in Israel's army stood back and they trembled. Their knees were knocking. They said, I ain't going down there. Not me. Goliath was big. He roared. He was obnoxious. He was threatening. He was intimidating. He openly challenged the men of Israel to a man-on-man, one-on-one, winner-take-all battle. And they said, no way, Jose, I ain't going out there. You ain't getting me to cross over that brook. Not happening. Not today. Well, let me tell you something. In life, there are times when our adversary, the devil, will confront us as a Goliath-like lion. He'll stand up and roar. He'll be loud. He'll be intimidating. And the natural inclination for us will be simply this. We will back up and we will fold our arms and we'll say, let somebody else go. Let him do it. You see, Goliaths, those types of Lions, they're intimidating. They appear bigger. They appear larger. They appear better equipped. They're stronger. They're smarter. They intimidate us. It's a no-win situation, and nobody wants, to, nobody wants to go into that. Satan's lions will scare us into staying in the camp instead of getting out there and getting on the battlefield because we focus on their threats more than on God's power. But not David. No. He simply saw Goliath as another opportunity for God to display his superiority and his authority over the adversary. So what did David do? He said, I'll go. I'll go. And he went down and he crossed over the brook. And he faced the giant. And you, you know the rest of the story. A shepherd versus a soldier. A sling versus a sword, and God won. But there's another instance, and this one probably is a little more easily to recognize in the story of Daniel. Daniel dealing with lions. Daniel dealing with lions. Now, Daniel's confrontation with um, the lion differs from David only in the, the manner, if you will, in which he was confronted. Uh, you see, David, David was a proactive confrontation. Goliath came up to him face to face. I mean, in his face, straightforward, in his face. And you've had those kind of confrontations in life. I know I've had those. They get in your face. They're right there. But for Daniel, it was different. There was scheming that went on. There was slander that went on. There was a stalking that took place. All, if you will, behind Daniel's back. And I know you face those kind of issues as well. You see, Daniel, whereas David was proactive, he said, you're the enemy, I know you are, and I'm going to go face him. Daniel was a prayer-active confrontation. And by the way, keep this in mind, so we can make sure that everybody can relate to the stories. David's story took place when he was young. Ah, commentators, they'll, they'll vary, but I, I don't see him any, any older than maybe 15, 16, maybe at the most, something like that. He wasn't old enough to go into war. 
which would have been 21. But Daniel's story takes place in his old age. He's no longer a boy taken captive from Jerusalem. He's now an old man. He has served the Babylonian kings for his entire life. In fact, in fact, let me suggest to you, Daniel is now retired. He's retired. But Babylon is no more. Persia has defeated them. They're now the ruling nation. And the new king of Persia decides, you know what? I've heard about this Daniel character. I like what I hear about him. Uh, he, he's, he's a guy I can have confidence in, I can trust. I'm bringing him out of retirement. And he did. Well, that didn't sit too well with the, uh, you know, the Persian court, the guys that were trying to work their way up, climb the corporate ladder, if you will. They didn't like that. How dare the king choose this captive, this Hebrew, this Jew, how, this old man? You know, he ought to be looking to us. We're, we're the up-and-coming guys. And they didn't like it. Not one bit. See, Daniel dealt with lions that were not of really of the four-legged kind. I know that's the part of the story that you, you think of, but those really aren't the lions Daniel dealt with. Daniel dealt with the two-legged kind, the kind that you and I still deal with today, the kind that David dealt with. You see, these two-legged lions, they stalked him. They schemed a way to discredit him. They finally conceived a plan that slandered Daniel before the king. And all along, all along, you need to know that Daniel is aware of the activity of the lions. I mean, I don't think this was the first time Daniel had faced this kind of adversary. I don't think this was the first time he had faced this core problem. He knew what was happening. He understood, but he didn't run. He did not hide. He was confident in his God. He just kept to living his life as he had always lived it. Laws were, which were deliberately aimed at Daniel. Boy, there are laws today that are being deliberately aimed at the Christian, at the church. And there were laws that were deliberately aimed at Daniel. That was the only reason they created this law. It was because of Daniel. They were established. He was spied upon. He was accused. He was declared guilty. And he was sentenced to death in the lion's den. I can only imagine the fear that must have given to the population to know that if you were convicted of a serious enough crime, a heinous enough crime, they were going to throw you into a den of lions. Because they were well aware. I mean, we watch them on TV. We go to the zoo. They lived among them. They were well aware of what lions could do and did do. And wow, to be thrown in and eaten by lions. I just, you know, that's exactly what they condemned Daniel to. But, but you know the rest of the story too, don't you? Yeah, God sent an angel, closed up the mouths of the lions. When the sun rises, Daniel is exonerated. The bad guys are caught. They're given Daniel's sentence. They're thrown into the lion's den. They don't even touch the ground of the cave or whatever it was. And the lions eat them and kill them and all that sort of thing. And Daniel comes out and he's, he has proven to be in the right. In life, there will be times when our adversary, the devil, will stalk us. He will scheme against us. He will slander us. And let me tell you this. As with the case with Daniel, 
There will be times when he will even seem to have success against us. They took Daniel to court and they won the case. It was trumped up all along. I understand that. But they won the case. But it didn't last. Like Daniel, we must put our faith and trust in God. And it must not waver. Whether we suffer or whether we have peace, whether we live or die, our eyes must be made fixed upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, stories like these are great. We learn them as a kid. I've heard these two stories since I can't remember when. I've heard them all my life, and you probably have as well. But what, what good is the story if it's just a story? You see, some of you, well, all of you, we're, we're, we're going to leave this, this building in a few minutes. We're going to leave this place, and right now, right now, lions are not your great concern. They're not your real concern. You're in the house of God. You feel safe. You feel secure. You feel all right. You're here to worship the Lord, and we are. And what a wonderful time we've had. I've I've appreciated the music so much. Tell you what, if a guy can't preach after music like that, (laughs) he might as well just turn in his credentials. I mean, to tell you right now. And you're probably going to say, well, David, you need to do that then. (laughs) And that's okay. But you're going to walk out here. And lions are become real. They're going to become real to you. And the story, just the story itself, isn't going to cut it. We've got to do more. See, I believe that we've got to be able to take this story. And we have to be able to live by the same principles that the characters in the story lived by. In order for the story to have meaning for us. See, know this, please, that our adversary is real. Satan is real. You cannot see him with your eyes, but don't kid yourself for a moment. He is real, and he will use any means possible to steal your soul, to kill your soul. To send you to an eternity apart from God Almighty. That's his one great desire. He began in the garden when there were just two of us. And he hasn't stopped. His thirst and hunger for souls of men and women and boys and girls, it's real. It is real. And his methods to feed his hunger are deceptive and they're crafty and and it appears that he's winning the battle don't kid yourself look around you look look at your world this afternoon look at television listen to the radio Uh, look at the community tomorrow it looks like he's winning the battle so what do we do well first of all Let me suggest to you that we must have a life and a vision that is faith-based. Faith-based. Now, now this faith is not something of our own making. As As if, you know, we say, well, if you just had a little more faith, you could overcome this. Just get a little more faith. But you see, if we think of faith that way, it becomes works. It's all about us. No, what I'm talking about, it's not our faith. Rather, it's putting our faith in 
Christ. Listen, listen again to, to David's words back in the story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. He told Goliath, he faced this giant, this, this 10-foot-tall, 500-plus-pound man, clothed in armor from head to toe. He faced him and he said, listen, you come to me with a sword, with a spear and a javelin. I can see your weapons. And yeah, they're intimidating. They're real. But he said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. That word host means armies. That, that, that if you will, that reminds me of God's angelic armies that are there. The ones that surrounded Elijah and his servant. When the servant couldn't see him and the enemy had come, thought they were in trouble. God's prophet said, open his eyes, Lord. And he looked out and he saw the armies of God. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This wasn't about David. It was about his God. And our faith, it must be in Jesus Christ. The second thing I would suggest that we need to do is to put on the whole armor of God. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6, Here's what the Apostle Paul told the Ephesian church, and it would be good for us because he talked about in the, in the chapter, he said, uh, brethren, be able to put on the whole armor of God that you be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles there means schemes, schemes, you know, the, the, the behind the scenes activities that go on to try to run things. He said, you do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take on the whole, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Can you imagine? Just to stand. That's the victory, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. We're living in a world today that says, well, is there really truth? Yes, there is. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the truth, all right? Having your waist girded with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith. Why do you need the shield of faith? Well, he tells you that you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and a lot of them don't include this last one, but I always have. I, I think it's, it's the one that kind of binds it all together. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. We must put on the whole armor of God. Fully clothed in this armor, we're able to resist him with the cross and with the empty tomb. We resist him. With the, thus saith the Lord, we resist our adversary in the power of the word of God, the Holy Spirit, standing on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, risen, and coming again. Dealing with lions. It's about several things. It's about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I didn't ask you if you know of him. I didn't even ask you if you know who he is. Do you have a personal relationship with him? I know a lot of people 
but I don't have a personal relationship with them. I know who they are, but I don't have a personal relationship with them. My dad calls me on the phone. Well, better yet, I call my dad. He doesn't call me. At his age, he says I need to call him rather than him call me. But if in my talk with my dad on the phone, I recognize that voice. I know the voice. We have a relationship. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? It only comes one way. You must be born again. Uh, you, can, you can write that out. You can fill that in however you want. But it's come to know Jesus Christ. There's a thing called repentance. There's a thing called recognizing sin. I'm sorry, God, forgive me, so forth and so on. I don't know how you want to work out the details. You can be like the thief on the cross. Lord, remember me when you... And he said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. I mean, that didn't seem like... But it worked. Whatever it takes, you must be born again to have a personal relationship with him. Then there's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God has given us his spirit to guide us and direct us. There's reading and meditating on God's word. I'm probably going to step on some toes here, and I, I don't mean to, and I, please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. I have, I have one of these things, and on this I have the app that's called the Bible. All right? Uh, but I want to tell you something. I much prefer the written word in this book right here than I do the electronic version. I found out here recently that people will retain more from reading a printed page than the electronic page. And there's something about opening up a book where you can underline and highlight and you can know. I, there, there are certain passages that I know because I know where they're at in my Bible. Now, if you use the electronic, I'm not, I'm not telling you you're a second-class Christian. Don't misunderstand me at all. That, that's not my point. My point is simply this, though. When Paul asked, he said, send me the parchments. He didn't say, text me the message. I know, that's, that's probably a stretch and things, but here's what I'm getting at. Okay, I got your attention, right? I, now I got your attention. When's the last time you picked up the Word of God? And I don't care which version it is, electronic or the printed. When's the last time you picked it up apart from church and read it? Do you do it every day? Meditating, getting into God's word, conforming to the image of Christ. I would I pray, I hope. My my desire is I'm still working at it. I'm not there yet, but I hope I'm becoming more and more like Jesus every day. I hope I'm more like him now than I was is that 10-year-old 55 years ago when I first came to him? I hope I'm a lot more like him. I'm walking in his footsteps. I hope I'm doing that a little bit more. Obeying his simple commands. You know, he gave us just two commandments. You know that, don't you? You can take this whole Bible and you can summarize it in two simple commands. You know what they are? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Wow, if you do that, you realize you've done everything God wants for you to do? Love God with all that you have. Hold nothing back. Give him it all. And then love your neighbor as yourself. How do you love yourself? Love your neighbor that way. Wow, that's all you got to do. That's everything in the Bible right there. And finally, here's a really tough one, though. 
letting God's will be done in your life and not your own. Can I confess to you? I never wanted to be a preacher. Right, Deb? I kind of, I kind of, you know, okay, I grumbled and, and I, I hesitated and I accepted being a deacon. I was a deacon first. I never wanted to be a preacher. Was never on my radar. Ran from it. Almost a whole year. Hey, doing it, God. No, no, no. I got plans, God. Here's what I want to do. Here are my plans. And he said, but these are my plans for your life. Best move I ever made in my life after salvation was letting God's will be done and not my will be done. Let me ask you some closing questions. Are you wearing the whole armor of God today? Have you put it all on every morning? Will you resist our adversary, the devil, steadfast in the faith? And will you stand against the schemes of the devil? Let me share this closing thought with you. Lest you be real concerned. The lion may be the king of beasts. But Jesus Christ is the king of kings. And he's the one I serve. Will you serve him? Will you face your adversary, the devil? And will you deal with lions by being strong in the Lord and the power of his might? I would imagine today that there are many of you that are facing lions of many sorts. Maybe it's the lion of political correctness. you got to deal with it on the job. Maybe it's the lion of peer pressure. That's not something just kids deal with. Maybe it's the lion of morality. Maybe it's the lion of fame or fortune. I don't know what it is, the lion that you're facing today. Well, I want to tell you the answer is Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe you've been struggling this week. Maybe you've been struggling for a while. Maybe you'd like to deal with it the way Daniel dealt with it. He went to his window in his room. He opened it up, and he faced Jerusalem. He faced the Lord, if you will, and he prayed. And maybe that's what you need to do today. You just need to come and pray, Lord, help me deal with this lion in my life. And I want to just give you that opportunity. Let's bow our heads for a moment.